Disney-ish episode 20, Top 5 Favorite Disney Villains. Welcome back to Disney, a podcast for Disney fans. I am your host, Christopher, and I am really, really sorry that it has been forever since the last episode of the podcast. It really has been a long time. I think it's been like close to two months at this point, and I am so sorry. I did not mean to drop the ball on this podcast, uh, but I've just had so much going on in my life right now. I adopted a new kitten, so I now have two cats, which is in some ways twice the responsibility, if not three times the responsibility, because a kitten is uh, a little bit more work than an adult cat. (laughs) You know, like, she is getting into everything all the time, constantly getting into things that she's not supposed to, playing with wires, uh, you know, making messes, trying to eat her big brother's food after she eats hers. Like, (laughs) it's a lot of work. Uh, And she's such a blessing and a gift, and I love her already. I've only had her for a couple weeks now, I think, but I've already fallen in love with her. She's wonderful. She's such a little sweetheart, but, you know, she's a kitten. So (laughs) she's rambunctious and, you know, uh, very mischievous. So it's been a lot of work. Um, But I am back. I am back. And I... This is the first episode of 2024, so Happy New Year's. And while I won't go into the reasons, because it's not really relevant to the podcast and has nothing at all to do with Disney, I do have reasons to believe that 2024 is hopefully uh, going to, you know, open up time for me to be a little bit more dedicated to this podcast than I have been. And I've said this on the show before, but to those of you who have been patient with me on this journey... And have understood that, you know, because I have so much going on in my life, including two jobs, I really just, and another podcast, uh, I really just do not have the time, you know, or the energy, to be honest, to uh, devote like a weekly or even bi-weekly, you know, slot to this podcast. And... It's not because this podcast isn't important to me. I wouldn't do it if it weren't. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it is a hobby at this point. It would be really nice if a day comes when it's something that can become, you know, a little bit lucrative because, uh, you know, but I'm not there yet. So uh, right now it's just a hobby, which means it kind of has to, uh, you know, not always be top priority. So, I am deeply apologetic to those of you who have been listening regularly and have been eagerly awaiting this episode, but happy 2024. And as I discussed at the end of the last episode, which was uh, covering the Rocky Horror Picture Show, uh, I would be counting down my top five favorite Disney villains. So that is the agenda for this episode. And before I do that, I do have a couple of kind of fun things that I want to share. Uh, Firstly, I had a really good holiday season, and I got quite a few Disney Lorcana cards, actually, as one of my gifts. Um, Cody bought them for me. And 
these were my first Lorcana cards yet. Even though this was launched several months ago, I think in August, these were my first cards because they've been very, very, very difficult to get a hold of. Like they're nowhere to be found in stores. Uh, you know, Cody has even acknowledged that, that, you know, eventually they will be much easier to find because the novelty will wear off a little bit for some people. Um, but right now they are very difficult to find in stores. But I got some Lorcana cards from, uh, from Cody for, for the holiday. And, uh, then I actually ended up having the opportunity to buy myself some. Because even though they are very, very difficult to find in stores, they are apparently not impossible. Because I did get lucky one day. I was at a Target, and I found a whole bunch of them at Target. Didn't buy all of them, because I'm not that guy. <laughs> but, um, yeah. And so I, I now have a nice little collection of Disney Lorcana cards. Um, some of them are just absolutely amazing. I can't wait to actually learn how to play the game. I haven't played the game yet. But speaking of games, that brings me to the other piece of uh, news, I guess, update <laughs> that I would like to share with you, which is that I just recently started playing the first Kingdom Hearts, which is not my first time playing it, but it is hopefully going to be my first time playing it to completion. Uh, I think that I have tried to play that game through twice, and the first time I ended up getting stuck. And I believe it was in Neverland that I got stuck. I was on the Jolly Roger and just was wandering aimlessly. It seemed like no matter where I went, there was no opportunity to progress. <laughs> you know, I'm sure some of you have played games like that before where it's like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. You know, like give me a hint as to where I'm supposed to go or, you know, what I'm supposed to accomplish here because I've been wandering around this place nonstop and nothing is happening. <laughs> so I got stuck that first time. And then I believe that the second time, I think what happened was that I was dating somebody at the time that was uh, not necessarily living with me, but spending a lot of time with me. You know, he was spending weekends with me and sometimes even weeks when he had off from work. And I believe he was playing Kingdom Hearts. And I think what happened was that he accidentally overwrote my save file because when I went to go play the game, it was almost finished. Like, I think I had like maybe two worlds left to explore and I was like, I didn't make this much progress, <laughs> you know? And that was kind of a bummer because that meant that either I finished the game, but I didn't actually play it all the way through myself, you know, which where's the satisfaction in that? Or I start all the way over from scratch. And I really just at the time did not feel like doing that. So I recently started it over again. And this time, of course, the goal is to actually finish it, play it all the way through. And also, of course, play the rest of them. You know, uh, the only one that I don't own is Kingdom Hearts 3, which I've heard from multiple people that are big fans of the game franchise that it's extremely disappointing. So I have a little bit of, uh, you know, hesitation on that front, but it'll be a while before I get there anyway. All right, so moving into my top five favorite Disney villains. So the way that this is going to work is I'm going to start at number five and count down to one. One will be, like five will be my least favorite of the five, and one will be my top favorite of the five. Uh, and then after I go through my top five, I will discuss five honorable mentions. 
you know, five villains that, you know, if I were to do a top 10, <laughs> they would probably be in my top 10. Uh, so without further ado, though, let's get started. All right. So coming in at number five is Hades. Hades is from Hercules from 1997. And with these villains, what I'm going to do is I'm going to name the movie and the release year that they first appeared. So even though some of these villains appeared in sequels and whatnot, I'm just going to mention the original movie that they appeared in. Uh, so Hades and Hercules doesn't have any sequels. There is a TV series. I've never actually seen it, so I don't know if Hades appears in it. Uh, but his original appearance, of course, and possibly only appearance as far as, you know, because he has been like, there was a live action rendition of him in the show Once Upon a Time, you know, things like that. Uh, a live action rendition of him in Descendants, you know, things like that. But the animated version of the character, which, by the way, I didn't say this. Um, I did mention it at the end of the last episode, but I haven't said it yet in this episode. One of the rules that I put into place for this is that uh, it has to be actual Disney. So I am not going to have Darth Maul on this list. I'm not going to have Kylo Ren. I'm not going to have, you know, Frankenfurter. I'm not going to have uh, Loki, you know, like these have to be like classic Disney. I kind of set that up for myself just because if I had included, you know, anything, you know, anything that is associated with Disney at this point, it would have been impossible, absolutely impossible to come up with a top five. I mean, there's just no way I could narrow that down. So these are traditional classic Disney villains. And if they appear in live action renditions, uh, you know, that's, I think in all cases here, not the one that I'm going to be talking about. Because again, I'm talking about the original movie, the original version of the character that first appeared. So anyway, uh, <laughs> without further ado, at number five is Hades uh, from Hercules 1997, as I said already. Um, so I was a little bit hesitant to put him on this list just because he's James Woods. And I don't think I need to further explain that. Um, but also, he isn't James Woods. You know, like, Hades and Meg are definitely the best parts of that movie. And, you know, he's a character. Hades is a character. And even though I don't really like James Woods as a person, I mean, he did a wonderful job voicing that character. Uh, you know, it just the voice acting there is just wonderful. And... Uh, you know, Hades is just such a memorable character and Hades and Meg are definitely the best parts of that movie. Meg is one of my favorite, um, Disney female heroes. Um, she and Esmeralda, I love both of them so much. Um, the dynamic between Hades and Meg is really just great. <laughs> it's part of the reason I love that movie so much. And I definitely will be covering Hercules on the podcast. I haven't yet, but I absolutely will. I mean, given the fact that Hades is on my top five favorite villains list, goes without saying. Uh, but yeah, there's a meme of them together. It's a screenshot from the movie. And it says, the amount of sass in this picture is overwhelming. <laughs> and yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you've probably seen that meme before if you follow Disney pages online on social media and stuff. But I'll put it in the show notes 
Uh, I'll link it in the show notes. But Hades is also, in my opinion at least, I'm sure there are also some other Disney fans who agree with me, but he's kind of a gay icon. And I feel like a lot of Disney villains, you know, especially the male ones, do tend to be kind of queer-coded. Um, you know, people, for example, have pointed out before that when Meg tries to convince Hades that Hercules isn't like her last boyfriend, you know, that he isn't going to betray her, um, that he's different, Hades is like, he's a guy. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, he sometimes comes across as Meg's sassy gay friend, you know? Look at your life, look at your choices. <laughs> I just love Hades. I love him. I love his attitude. I, uh, I just love him. You know, and I also think that he's one of the more sympathetic villains. Um, I mean, he clearly hates his job. He does not want to be, you know, Lord of the Underworld. Um, he wasn't even invited to his nephew's birth ceremony. I forget what exactly they were celebrating at the beginning of the movie. It was like a coronation or something like that. I mean, the opening of the movie definitely is similar to the opening of Sleeping Beauty in that way. Because, you know, Hades shows up at this child's celebration, you know, this celebration that celebrating this child's birth, um, that he clearly wasn't invited to. I mean, you know, that's not his motivation. His motivation is not revenge for not having been invited to this. Uh, but there is kind of a similar situation there where he shows up at this event and, uh, you know, he clearly was not invited to it. Zeus is his brother. I mean, Clearly, Zeus has disowned him somehow. I mean, we don't really have that backstory. It could be that Zeus was, like, fully justified, completely justified in sort of disowning Hades and banishing him to rule the underworld. Uh, we don't know. At least, it's been a little while since I've seen that movie, so I could be wrong. Maybe it does say, but I just remember the last time I watched that movie feeling a little bit sympathetic for Hades. Like, you know... He's been outcasted from the family. He hates his job, absolutely hates what he does. <laughs> you know, I kind of get it. So coming in at number four, this is another one that I kind of hesitate to put on this list. Uh, and to be honest, number five and number four on this list are almost tied. Like, so close that ask me on another day and they might have been reversed. You know, like... These are very, 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 very close contenders because I love them both, but for different reasons. But like I said, I also kind of hesitated to put this one on the list because I love animals and I'm sure you know where I'm going. Cruella DeVille, 101 Dalmatians from 1961. So I do feel a little bit like a hypocrite because I'll just spoil this right from the get-go. Gaston is not on this list, not even in the honorable mentions. I hate Gaston. I cannot stand him. And that's in large part because he's a misogynist and I'm a feminist. I cannot stand him. Like some of the comments that he makes in that movie, like it's not right for a woman to read, you know, soon she'll start getting ideas. I'm like, Oh, I want to punch you in the face so bad right now. <laughs> I just hate Gaston. Um, you know, but I also really, really love animals. You know, animal rights are a, you know, definitely a, strong principle of mine, as is women's rights and respect for women. Uh, so I feel a little bit like a hypocrite having Cruella on this list. But unlike Gaston, Cruella, in my opinion at least, has the charm. You know, I, I mean, she is 
uh, such a diva. She really is. I mean, she's so charismatic. She's funny. She speaks her mind, you know, and I just love her attitude. Anita, darling. <laughs> she's just wonderful. And I also really, I mean, the funny thing is that's not even my favorite uh, version of the character. But again, I'm trying to stick to the classics here. I'm trying to stick to the traditional, uh, you know, animated Disney movie villains here. But uh, my favorite rendition of the character is actually um, from Once Upon a Time when Victoria Smurf had played her. She was so funny, so hilarious, and just wonderfully played. I mean, it was campy, but in such a fun way and deliberate way. And uh, I just, there's a scene in Once Upon a Time when... Uh, Cruella is seen playing something on a phone, you know, like you see her like uh, moving her thumbs along a screen, but you don't see what she's playing. And she says, blasted birds, I'll show you what angry looks like. <laughs> I mean, I just I, I really love Cruella. And I also I do really, really love, um, you know, Glenn Close's portrayal of her. I love Emma Stone's portrayal of her, even though she's not, you know, a villain in that movie. That's another discussion for another time. Um, there are some people who would disagree with me, but I'm sorry. It's not, in my opinion, it's not really something you can disagree with or agree. You know, it's it's objectively true. She's not a villain in that movie. She doesn't do anything really terribly evil or bad, you know, and I don't think she will. I mean, that version of the character clearly likes animals. <laughs> so you know, yeah. But anyway, I really, really loved that version as well. But I'm going with the animated version from 1961, because again, that was the original. But um, yeah, I love Cruella. I also love her, you know, half black, half white hair. <laughs> That's just very um, visually striking and iconic. And, you know, you can't really have Cruella without that. Coming in at number three is... Ursula from The Little Mermaid, 1989. So how can you not love Ursula? I mean, she totally makes that movie. And she's another character that, you know, like Hades, I can sort of understand her perspective a little bit because it's pretty clear that uh, she was banished from the kingdom and exiled to live in that little, her lair. And, I mean, again, we don't really know why. It could be that Triton was completely justified in banishing her. I don't think it's ever really said what she did. There is a novel that I've mentioned on the podcast before, I believe, um, called Poor Unfortunate Soul by Serena Valentino that does go a little bit back into her, you know, does go a little bit into her backstory. But, you know... I don't really want to discuss that on here just because, first of all, I don't want to spoil the book if you haven't read it. And second of all, I don't know whether or not Disney considers those books to be, quote, canon. As far as the movie universe is concerned, I don't think it's ever said, you know, what happened between her and Triton. But something clearly happened. And I... Uh, even in the live action movie, which I will eventually discuss on the podcast, I've talked about the animated version 
back in episode 13? No, no. 13 was your friend the rat. It was episode 14 uh, when I covered The Little Mermaid. And uh, I will eventually cover the live action version as well. But I will just say that one thing that did really disappoint me about the live action version is that with it being so much longer, like I think it's nearly an hour longer than the animated version, and I was expecting a lot more backstory. I was expecting us to get flashbacks, you know, like for us to better understand what happened between Ursula and Triton. And we don't get that. It doesn't really give us anything more than the animated movie does, except it does confirm, you know, as other things had in the past, like the aforementioned book that I just talked about, Poor Unfortunate Soul, and also I believe the Broadway musical, both of those works do say that Triton and Ursula are siblings, brother and sister. Uh, and the animated movie never actually says that. The live action version does, but that doesn't really add anything, really. Uh, we still don't know what happened between them, uh, why there is friction between them, why she hates him, why she wants revenge on him. It's never explicitly said. So uh, I do wish we had gotten that. I think that would have made the movie so much better. But unfortunately, we didn't get that. But anyway, Ursula totally makes The Little Mermaid. And honestly, I think that that is part of the reason why I do tend to love the villains. Because they often do. They often, in my opinion at least, are kind of the best part of the movie that they're in. They're, you know, the most charismatic. They're the most funny. Uh, they're the most animated. And I don't mean that literally. Because, you know, if you're watching an animated Disney movie, everything is animated. <laughs> but... You know, just they usually tend to have the most life. You know, they they uh, they have a flair and they're just so much fun. And so that is, in my opinion, true of a lot of Disney movies, that the villain is the best part. Uh, just like 101 Dalmatians, Cruella is my favorite part of that movie. So, yeah, she she totally makes that movie. I mean, she's sassy. She's hilarious. And she is another example of a Disney villain that I think is queer coded and even deliberately so, like 100% deliberately so in this case, because uh, she was actually modeled after a drag queen, Divine. So very likely intentionally queer-coded. Uh, but she just seems very confident, self-assured, and she's also purple, and purple's my favorite color. So uh, if you're looking to go into the Disney villain business, you know, be purple. <laughs> because you'll probably end up on a list like this of mine. <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah that's ursula i love me some ursula and melissa mccarthy was wonderful absolutely wonderful i'm not like when i say that that movie kind of disappointed me it has nothing to do with her performance i loved her as ursula uh it was just that i and again i will talk more about that on the podcast eventually when i talk about that movie uh but i just really wanted more out of her backstory and we didn't get that so coming in at number two is Evil Queen from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And actually, if you have been a longtime listener of the podcast and or you've just heard an episode here and there and you have a really good memory, then you may remember that I've actually given, I think, these top three away before. I've said before on the podcast who my top three favorite villains are. I'm sure of it. So like those of you with a really good memory who have heard the episodes that I've mentioned that in, uh, you might have gone into this already knowing at least <laughs> who my top three were going to be. But um, 
yeah, number two is Evil Queen. So like Ursula, she is very, I mean, her complexion isn't purple, but she wears purple and she looks fabulous in it. <laughs> uh, she is so beautiful, so regal, just has such a commanding presence whenever she's on the screen in the movie. Um, like I said, I love all the purple. She is incredibly ambitious and determined, you know, and, you know, she's also the OG. I mean, she's pretty much the first Disney villain ever to be featured in an animated full-length movie. Uh, so she's the OG, you know, and I, I just, uh, I've always really loved the Evil Queen. She's kind of always been my favorite part of this movie. Like I said, that tends to be a trend with me. Um, so given all of the reasons that I just gave for why I love the Evil Queen, um, if you don't know who my number one is because you either forgot or haven't heard episodes in which I've said, uh, I will give you a hint before I reveal who number one is. Some of the reasons that I just gave uh, for why the Evil Queen is on this list are similar reasons to why number one is on this list. So I will repeat some of it. Uh, very, very ambitious and determined. Very regal and beautiful. Uh, she has purple as part of her costume. Those of you who know who I'm talking about, uh, bravo. But if you still don't, here we go. Number one, my favorite Disney villain of all time, ever. Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty 1959. I mean, this is like, there's no competition, you know? Like, I really, really love the Evil Queen. She's a fairly close second, but... It's nowhere near as close as, you know, numbers five and four were on this list. I mean, Maleficent just takes this cake, hands down. I love her so, so much. Sleeping Beauty is such a comfort movie for me because it is so visually striking and gorgeous and beautiful. And Maleficent is just so much fun. I mean, I get all excited and uh, just, like, smiley. <laughs> Every time I watch the movie and the coronation scene starts and she arrives, I just love her. She has so much charisma, um, you know, and I, she's interesting because like when she arrives at the coronation, Queen Leah refers to her as your excellency. So she is presumably some sort of ruler or monarch or queen, presumably of the Forbidden Mountain. Um, because like I said, that's a title that even the queen seems to respect. But I wonder who she rules over, you know? Is it just her goons? <laughs> uh, because there doesn't seem to be anybody living in the Forbidden Mountains except for her and the goons. So I don't know. But like I said, like the evil queen, um, she is very determined and ambitious. I mean, imagine having one main goal in life and not giving up on that goal for 16 years. And... It ultimately, I mean, Serena Valentino does have a novel, Mistress of All Evil, which reveals that uh, it wasn't just not being invited to the coronation. In fact, that wasn't it at all. That was just kind of a cover reason. There was actually a much more uh, sympathetic reason. And of course, you've got the live action version with Angelina Jolie, which gives even a, you know, an even different reason. <laughs> um 
that's also different because that's a different universe. The live action movies do not take place in the same universe as Sleeping Beauty. But that book does. That novel does. It's a prequel and tie-in to Sleeping Beauty. Uh, and that does give us, you know, more understandable reason for her doing what she's doing. It's not just, you know, like, oh, well, I wasn't invited to this party, so <laughs> I'm going to curse your child. No, it was more than that. But again, I don't know how, quote, canon that book is. Um, so given what we're given in the movie, her sole reason seems to be that she wasn't invited to this party, to this coronation ceremony. Kind of petty. It's very petty to curse an innocent child to death, basically, um, when that child didn't even have anything whatsoever to do with why you weren't invited. You know, like you're kind of cursing the wrong person here. <laughs> and I get it's to punish the king and queen. Like that's, you know, she's their pride and joy. She's their child. She's given them hope. Um, she's taking that hope away. Like I get that, but still the child is going to suffer because of this, even though Aurora had nothing to do with this. So it's definitely petty, but I mean, that also ties into the ambition aspect because again, imagine having this singular goal for 16 years based on such a petty reason, you know? I mean, that's just, that's partly what makes Maleficent so wonderful. Um, she's intelligent. She's resourceful, you know? Uh, she thinks ahead. She plans ahead. Um, she's also incredibly funny and unpredictable. I mean, you've got the scene, for example, this is one of my favorite scenes from the movie, when uh, the goons report to her that they've been looking all over the kingdom. They cannot find her. They can't find the princess. You know, they've searched every cradle far and wide. And Maleficent is like, cradle? <laughs> you know, and she is just so taken aback that these idiots have been searching cradles when it's been 16 years and she's no longer a baby. <laughs> you know, and at first she seems to find it funny, you know, like she's laughing hysterically. The goons start laughing too, because they think that she's, you know, <laughs> that she doesn't mean it maliciously. Um, but then all of a sudden she just completely does a 180, loses her temper, slams her staff down and starts shooting like these green bolts of energy at them. You know, like she's completely unpredictable. And that's one of the reasons why she's memorable, in my opinion. Um, and like the evil queen, she's graceful. She's elegant. She's incredibly regal and beautiful, just simply majestic. And, you know, those are traits that you wouldn't necessarily usually align with evil. And I think that's one of the reasons why she's so fascinating. Because like the evil queen, in fact, even more so than the evil queen, I would argue, she has a commanding presence whenever she's on screen. And... She's just so beautiful to look at, but she's evil. Like, <laughs> again, you wouldn't normally think that that would be the case, but it is. And that's not to say that, you know, like, if someone like Maleficent actually existed in real life, that a child wouldn't be terrified of her. I mean, you know, the the uh, kind of pale green skin and horns and, you know, all of that, I'm sure, would be scary in real life, but... I mean, I just think that she's so regal and majestic and beautiful. And uh, she also has such an iconic silhouette. I mean, it's so iconic that the live-action Angelina Jolie movie, the first one, even took advantage of it. You know, like you have that scene, the coronation scene, basically, 
in the movie when before you actually see Maleficent in her full, you know, black robe garb, uh, you see the shadow on the wall as she enters. And I mean, it's just, it's just such a wonderful shot because it's so like, it's such a callback to Sleeping Beauty. I mean, the silhouette looks just like Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty, you know, uh, I really, really love like how iconic her silhouette is, you know, I mean, again, that movie even took advantage of that. And also she turns into a dragon. I mean, I love dragons. I kind of like, I don't know why I just do. I think they're very beautiful, majestic creatures, even though they're not real. Um, I mean, in, in fantasy stories, you know, they're, they're beautiful. They're majestic. Um, I tend to really enjoy dragon characters. And so, uh, I mean, easy number one here, you know, she's got purple in her costume. I love purple. Um, green is my second favorite color. And she's also associated with green because, um, she has like a greenish skin tone. Um, and she turns into a dragon, you know, like, can you get any cooler than that? <laughs> she also has one of my favorite, favorite, favorite Disney, like favorite, favorite lines from any Disney villain and also from just any Disney movie in general, which is now shall you deal with me, oh prince and all the powers of hell. <laughs> I love that line. So, yeah, uh, those are my top five favorite Disney villains. Like I said, before I get out of here, I am going to also run through my top five honorable mentions. So I'm going to start with 10 and then count down to six, like I just did from five to one. Um, and again, these are my honorable mentions. Villains that very likely would have made the list if this were a top 10 instead of a top five. Now, because these are honorable mentions, I'm not going to go into as much detail this time. Uh, about why I like them. This is going to be much quicker. Okay, so first honorable mention coming in at number 10 is Morgana from The Little Mermaid 2 Return to the Sea from 2000. Now, again, like I said, I'm not going to give as much detail this time as I did with my top five, but I just want to quickly say that I think that Pat Carroll did such a wonderful job with this character because she is Ursula's sister, right? So she does have some of Ursula's traits, but Pat Carroll did such a great job of like paying homage to Ursula while also giving Morgana her own, you know, kind of cadence and personality. So I, the main reason she's on here is just how she's similar to Ursula, but also her own character. I also think that I talked about this back in episode 15 when I covered this movie. Um, I also think that she is one of the more sympathetic villains um, just because it's very clear that her mother favored Ursula over her and that gave her somewhat of an inferiority complex. I also think that her fate at the end of the movie is incredibly cruel and inhumane. And yeah, so <laughs> Morgana is at number 10. Number nine is one that, oh man, I really, really kind of hate myself for having him on here. And it's not Gaston. Like I said, I already said that he is not on here. Um, but number nine is Frollo from The Hunchback of Notre Dame from 1996. And I'm sure you know, you can already guess why it is that I hate that he's on this list because he's a religious fanatic and a racist. And I already said that I don't have Gaston on here because he's a misogynist. Um, I also don't support racism. <laughs> I also don't like racists and I certainly don't like religious fanatics. But what I will say 
is that the reason Frollo is on here is not that he's likable or sympathetic or even charismatic. The reason that Frollo is on this list is that he is truly, in my opinion, a terrifying and real villain because he's very much human, you know, unlike Maleficent and Ursula and a few other villains that I'm going to be mentioning here. Uh, he's human. He's 100% human. Gaston is also very human and, you know, his misogyny is also very real and is something that women deal with all the time. But like I said, for some reason, there's just something about Gaston that just, I don't know. I just want to punch him in the face. I hate him. <laughs> I cannot stand him. And I'm not a violent person. So, yeah. But uh, I, I cannot stand Gaston. And I don't like Frollo either. But the reasons that I don't like Frollo are different in a way that's kind of hard to explain. But Frollo is very, very terrifying because, you know, he is a leader with power who has the ability to oppress people. And that is definitely one of the themes of the movie, you know, is uh, showing kindness and empathy for people who are struggling, who have been marginalized and oppressed by society because of people like Frollo, you know. Um, Frollo is just very, very real in a very scary, terrifying way. And that's why he's on this list. Number eight is kind of the polar opposite of that because I was just saying that Frollo is terrifying because he's human. Number eight is kind of terrifying precisely because he's not human. Presumably the devil, maybe? <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, but I am talking about Chernabog from Fantasia from 1940. The main reason the Chernabog is on this list is he's just such a classic monster-like villain. You know, he looks like a big monster. He looks like a big demon. He's definitely very terrifying. I would not want to be in that segment of Fantasia, <laughs> you know, um, at his mercy. He just, yeah, he has a really cool appearance. I mean, I even have him as a Funko Pop. So uh, Chernabog, very, very cool villain. Uh, number seven, Jafar from Aladdin, 1992. Also, of course, the sequel, Aladdin. Uh, well, actually, I don't think Aladdin is even part of the title. I think it's just Return of Jafar, but... Um, like I said, I'm kind of limiting, you know, the, the, uh, the film credit that I'm giving here to the original that it was in, um, that the character was in. So, um, Jafar, uh, Jafar is another male villain like Hades that I think is kind of queer coded. In fact, when I was a kid, I was so sure that Jafar was a woman, <laughs> you know, I'm talking really little. I was like two or three. Um, and I still remember this. So maybe not quite that young, because I don't think you really start forming, like, I don't think you really start having, like, formative memories at two. Um, but I was very, very young anyway. And I do remember insisting that Jafar was a woman and my older sister Ellie kind of arguing with me about it and insisting that he was a man. And I just saw, like, you know, the way he carried himself, the way that, it, and it's funny because Ellie even said, like, don't you see that he has, like, a beard? He has facial hair. Like, <laughs> you know, but as a child, you're not, you're just, you know, like, <laughs> you're not really quite aware of things like that yet. And I just felt like he kind of carried himself and talked in a way and behaved in a way that I tended to see female characters behave. Like, you know, up to that point, I had been used to the Evil Queen and Maleficent and Ursula and characters like that. 
Um, and Jafar kind of embodied a similar energy to me. So I think that's the main reason why I thought he was a woman, but, um, definitely kind of, a uh, you know, a uh, a feminine, effeminately portrayed character, I think in a lot of ways. And that is another reason why I tend to find the Disney villains to be a lot of fun because a lot of them are, you know, kind of queer coded. Um, so anyway, moving on to number six, the last, I know it's kind of weird cause it's like, technically this is a top 10, but I did five through one and then 10 through six, but, <laughs> um, I don't truly think of it as a top 10. I think of it as a top five, but I thought it would be fun to throw in a few honorable mentions. Um, so at number six is a villain that I think is criminally underrated and the movie that he's from is criminally underrated. I can't wait to talk about this movie on the podcast, but I am talking about the Horned King from The Black Cauldron, 1985. He is pretty terrifying looking, very terrifying. Um, he also has one of the most gruesome Disney villain deaths of all time, um, which is memorable. But he's very, very scary. He is just absolute pure evil, evil incarnate, basically. Um, and he's just such a fun, memorable character. And like I said, I think that movie is very underrated. But it came out in 1985, which was one of Disney's Dark Ages. So unfortunately, I don't know that it's ever... I mean, you've got like Princess Ilanwi in the movie, who is literally a princess. Literally. Princess Ilanwi. She is literally a Disney princess. But she's not a Disney princess with a capital P. <laughs> um, but I think part of that is, um, I did actually have someone once who explained to me the rules behind, like, you know, what Disney considers, like, when it decides upon uh, what female heroes count as, quote, Disney princesses. And I don't remember all of the rules, but... I am pretty sure that there's one that Ilan Wee does not meet. So, um, but still, you know, literally a princess, but not a Disney princess. So, um, but yeah, it came out during one of Disney's dark ages. So I think that's why. So unfortunately, it's probably never going to get the hype that I think it deserves. But this is one that I think, if done right, could make a really, really, really wonderful live action movie. But anyway, that is my top five favorite Disney villains of all time, plus my five uh, honorable mentions mentioned there. Um, so if you would like to reach out to the podcast, reach out to me and, uh, you know, share your thoughts. Like maybe you want to show me or tell me what your five favorite villains are. I would love that. In fact, I would love to share that on the podcast. So uh, if you want to talk about that, or you want to talk about a movie that I've covered on the podcast already, or if you want to talk about a movie that I haven't covered on the podcast yet, but plan to, I will save it for when I do. If you want to talk about a movie or a book or a show or anything Disney related that I do not plan on ever covering, I will still include your feedback in the feedback section. So I would love to hear from you. There are a number of ways you can do that. You can email disneyshpodcast at gmail.com. And that is, of course, D-I-S-N-I-C-H-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. There are no underscores or anything like that. You can join the Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Podcast. Same spelling that I just gave. You can follow me on Instagram, which is Podcast. Again, same spelling. 
And if you would like to, you can follow my personal Instagram page, which is The Lost Passenger. Once again, no underscores or anything, just T-H-E-L-O-S-T-P-A-S-S-E-N-G-E-R. So please be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever it is that you're listening, because as some of you may have realized by now, and as I just covered at the top of the show, this does tend to be a little bit sporadic because of how busy my schedule is. So you'll never miss a new episode. You'll always know when a new episode drops if you subscribe. And also, if you follow me on social media, if you join the Facebook group and uh, follow the Instagram page, that's where I post announcements and updates. So um, please subscribe. That would be great. Um, Next up on the podcast is something that I have not done yet. A Marvel movie. (laughs) You knew it was coming. You knew I had to do it eventually, right? Um, So I will be covering Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania. So look forward to that. Hopefully within the next few weeks. Um, I don't know exactly when it'll be. I will do it as soon as I possibly can. But uh, I look forward to that. And uh, yeah, so until then, though, this has been Disney reminding you to keep it evil. But not really. Not really.